Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing black sails. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Kelsey, but we're not alone this week. It's a rarity. <laughs> we have a guest. Very exciting. We're joined in this episode by Clara Cook from the Tales We Tell podcast. Clara was kind enough to have us on her podcast. I think that episode aired in July of 2022. Has it been that long? Wow. Time goes by really, really quickly. <laughs> so we are super happy to return the favor, I guess, and, and have Clara with us today. You know, we, we went back and forth about what episode she might be joining us on and landed on black sales clara do you want to say anything else to introduce yourself oh just hello and thank you for having me on the podcast it's a pleasure to be here been a big fan of the show for a long time now listen to all the episodes and so i'm very excited to be a guest i'm very excited to be talking about black sales as well which is a tv series which i think is excellent and didn't really get the coverage and the acclaim that I think it should have got at the time. Yeah, just that fits very well with my interests, which are in gender and sexuality in television. And pirates in history. And pirates in history. And also, like I was saying to you before, before we recorded, uh, I think I spend a lot of time in fictional spaces that are dominated by men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the as stories. we all do, I think. You know, so like pirates, cowboys... Men in space, <laughs> men in ancient Greece. I think I grew up on a diet of stories about men, so mm -hmm. pirates was always fitting into that as well. It's just why I've always been interested in pirates, so this fit in really well. Excellent. We're super happy to have you here. So should we introduce Black Sails and what the whole deal with it is? Yeah. We normally would talk about a main ship, but in this case, there's a lot going on in the show and a lot of characters going on in the show. So I think we will talk a little bit about who all these characters are and what broadly the show is about before we get into the ships. But in terms of the sources that we're looking at, it is, as we said, the show Black Sails. It aired on Stars from 2014 to 2017. And all three of us have seen all of it. So, mm -hmm. so to get into the, the characters, obviously we've said it's a pirate show. It is sort of half and half real life pirates and fictional pirates from Treasure Island. So it serves as kind of a prequel to the novel Treasure Island. And the characters we have in it are Captain Flint, Long John Silver, Lord Thomas Hamilton, Miranda Hamilton, Max, Eleanor Guthrie, Calico Jack, and Charles Vane, Maddie, and Billy Bones. It's a huge crew. So like Maddie was saying, it's sort of a prequel to Treasure Island, but where we are in time and space in the world is we're with a group of pirates towards the end of what's called the golden age of piracy in Nassau and what is now the Bahamas. And basically like the plot of the show is in the first couple of seasons, they're going after this big treasure boat ship boat ship this boat ship <laughs> a spanish ship that has a lot of gold in it with the hopes that they are going to be able to use that gold to maintain their independence from colonial powers mm -hmm. and then as the show sort of progresses there's a lot of back and forth between whether or not they're going to fight the colonial powers to maintain their independence maybe use the gold to do that 
or ask for pardons and try to reintegrate back into the larger colonial society. So that's sort of like the overarching framework of the, the four seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the queer content of the show, where do we start out? Well, there's lots and lots of it, but it sort of changes over the course of the show. But we do begin with some lesbians. <laughs> the characters, Eleanor and Max, very early on into the show, are revealed to be in a relationship with each other. It sort of, you know, continues over a bunch of episodes. There's betrayal. Things fall apart over the course of season one. But in terms of the context of the show, I think it's viewed by many as a little bit exploitative. The scenes between the two of them are, you know, numerous and somewhat graphic, I guess. This is at a period of the show in season one when, in my mind, they were really trying to compete with Game of Thrones. <laughs> there was a lot of sex on screen and a fair amount of it was lesbians in a, you know, titillate the masses sort of context. But that does change over the course of the show. So what else happens in queer storylines? So I think one of the key things that happens, and yeah, we can make some space to, to talk about this, is season one, there's a lot of female nudity. There's a lot of what feels sort of exploitative. And that tapers off altogether, I think, as the show continues on. But in season two, we learn something really important. So like we said, it's a huge ensemble cast, but if there is a main character, it's Captain James Flint. And he is the one on a mission to really get this goal, to maintain independence. There's something going on in his past. We see some kind of odd interactions with other characters in the show. And in season two, they start to tease that out more. And we learn that his primary motivation in life is that he fell in love with a man, Lord Thomas Hamilton, and had that ripped away from him. And so, you know, we start off the show with your your classic titillating lesbians, and then it's revealed like, oh, no, it's been a, a gay romance the entire time that's at the center <laughs> of the show. This manly pirate was gay all along? It's a shock. Yeah, and I think that the love story between James and Thomas is quite, it's portrayed in quite a romantic way as well, compared to, say, for instance, like, I mean, I think when I first watched the show, I took issue with the fact that they were showing explicit sex scenes between lesbians, but they weren't showing explicit sex scenes between Thomas and James. But I think now, in hindsight, looking back on it, I think that it's filmed and acted in such a way that they appear tender and sort of loving, subverting all the portrayals that we have in media of gay men like appearing yeah. as promiscuous or predatory. So I think they are really trying to show homosexuality as this loving, equal relationship between them. I know that Thomas... Hamilton is aristocracy and James yeah. McGraw is not aristocracy, but they are being portrayed as equals intellectually and I guess emotionally. So, <laughs> and yeah, for most of the show, you do most of season one, you are wondering like, why is Flint doing what he's doing? It's going beyond maintaining independence. There's an element of like ruthlessness and he's doing these things that are so, so ruthless. And so and to the point where things that you really can't go back on making decisions, you can't change. Yeah. Like, Spoiler alert, killing his quartermaster, who he's good friends with. Spoilers are allowed on this show. But yeah, he kills who is kind of his best friend yeah, at who's the time. A, and who's a character that you root for who you like. Like you like yeah. his quartermaster, he's a decent man. Flint likes him too. Yeah, and making these decisions, which just seem so destructive, like he's being driven by something. Like he's so filled with rage against English. And this is why. This yeah. is why. It's all, in, it's all because of Thomas. In the first season, he also has this 
sort of baffling relationship with a woman who we know as Mrs. Barlow. She's living on the island. He comes to see her when he's there. There's clearly history between them. There's something going on. We do see them have sex, but it's kind of like weird and fraught emotionally and he yeah like he doesn't seem like he wants to be there and something so you're like what is this relationship no one can understand it we can't there's rumblings among the crew about what's the deal with this woman like no one knows what's going on here and then it as we learn in season two she was actually the wife of thomas hamilton and flint had first been in a relationship with her then had gotten together with her husband and in like a Everyone was cool with it kind of way. It wasn't a love triangle. And so there's all of this history of the two of them carrying the loss of Thomas and still being tied to each other as their only links to their past selves because Flint has totally rebuilt himself. He wasn't even Flint in his previous life. He has created this pirate character. And so it's just like such an interesting way to have it all come together in season two. And you're like, oh, I totally understand what's going on now in a way that I didn't before. And also makes for exceptionally good drama. The idea that this epic quest, this extreme thirst for revenge is caused by a lost love, like a really deep, deep love that you had for this individual, this character, this person, and it was lost, it's tragic, and it's being driven by the rage. I think it just makes it on the level of like a Greek tragedy. I think it makes it great, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool because in season one, it's like, is he just this awful pirate with a quest for power and like is that why he wants to do this and then to get the reasons behind it makes him even though he's done unforgivable things in season one that he will never forgive himself for you at least are able to get why it sort of humanizes him and i think it allows the audience to stick with him for the rest of the series Mm -hmm. you know because otherwise it'd be hard to root for him as a person right It's, it's worth saying i think to clara's point that It doesn't get super sexually explicit, but we do see them kiss. We do see them very explicitly say that they're in love with each other. Like this is not a relationship where there is any ambiguity about the nature of it. So the show is very clear. There's a lot of discussion of it too. Flint and Miranda have conversations about like Miranda saying, you know, I loved Thomas, but what the two of you had was even more special. And you guys shared this thing that not a lot of people have talk about their love story pretty you know explicitly so thomas has a book and in the beginning of the book like on the first page he inscribes to james my truest love right no no Mm -hmm. shame and then he writes his initials so he calls him his truest love i mean you can't really it's hard to read that any other way yeah says it all says it all (laughs) it really does okay so that's flint and thomas but There are other queer characters in the show. There are other queer relationships going on. And we should talk a little bit about some of those. Mm -hmm. So in the show, there are a couple of characters, Calico Jack and Anne Bonny, who have been tied together, you know, many years. They're sort of a unit pirate pair. And Max comes into their lives and Anne and Max begin a sexual relationship with each other. And then it becomes this interesting dynamic where... Anne feels like she needs to explore this side of herself, but Anne and Jack also are still tied to each other. And so Jack is sort of like, if you feel like this is what you need to do, that's totally fine. It doesn't change our relationship to each other. And so there's this fascinating trio thing going on with the three of them. Yeah, this is more, I would I say, of a love triangle 
but the conflict doesn't quite play out the way you might predict. Like it Mm -hmm. it goes in in interesting directions. And so I think what's interesting is, you know, we've established that Max uh, had that relationship with Eleanor earlier. And so she's clearly interested in in same-sex relationships, but this is a realization for Anne. She's clearly having an attraction to Max and feelings that she's having a hard time working through. And then she, you know, gives herself permission to experience that and Jack does as well. And so, yeah, the loyalties end up playing out in interesting ways across the course of the show. But it still is not as love triangly and jealous as you might expect. And I think that speaks to the nature of pirates and their acceptance of these alternate sexualities, for lack of a better phrase. We'll get into this, but I feel like this show mostly plays out in terms of relationships of three people. All of the main dynamics of the show are not necessarily like polyamorous romantic relationships but like sets of three people who have this interesting tie to each other and there's something about the three of them that is the relationship dynamic and so that is one of them but i i don't feel like any of them play out the way you would think of a love triangle playing out where there's one person who's like can't make up her mind if she wants to be with this guy or with this guy and then there's tension between the guys and eventually she'll figure out which one she wants to be with like none of them play out that way so I don't think that the issue between Max, Jack, and Anne is a s- sexual one. So I don't think that Jack has a problem with Max and Anne having a sexual relationship. And I also don't think that Max really has a problem with them having like a threesome, se- a sexual experience as a threesome. So mm-hmm. it's not, I don't think it's, I think in a lot of traditional TV, it would be the sexual stuff that would be the problem. Yeah. I think the problem starts initially, I think is that Jack feels that his intimacy, his emotional connection, his intimate bond with Anne could be disrupted by her feelings and her intimacy with Max. It's the emotions, it's the, the deep kind of connection of, between their yeah. personalities rather than the physical act and I think that also comes into play when they actually are having a threesome <laughs> in one of the scenes and and like Max and Jack's eyes meet over Anne's shoulders <laughs> I'm laughing because I I can see this coming and they kind of have this moment where they're both looking at each other and Anne <laughs> kind of looks up and she's like what like like she's kind of disturbed she's like what the hell's going on and I think for her she doesn't she doesn't like the idea of anyone else having an emotionally intimate relationship with Jack. And I think that sometimes Anne shows some jealousy about Charles Vane having a mm-hmm. close friendship with Jack. So with Jack and Anne, I think it's a quite a possessive codependent relationship. But yeah. I'm not sure that is actually to do with sex. No, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, they certainly seem like they have had sex, but I think for the two of them, it's more about they have decided that this is the person that they will be more loyal to than anyone else. They are a unit and if no one should be able to come between that. And so the tension early on between Jack and Max is her saying like, oh, I have this newfound power over Anne that you don't have because I'm giving her something that you can't give her. And Jack is there saying, you may think that now, but you're a new thing and like our bond won't be disrupted by you because it is that strong. And then it's the sort of push and pull over how it affects both of those relationships going forward throughout the show. So at one point, Anne says, I can't be your wife, but we'll be together till they put us in the fucking ground. And I I think that's kind of indicative of their relationship. Like, they're going to be partners for life. But Anne doesn't fit into the traditional roles that perhaps maybe society would like to push her into. She wears men's clothes or she wears masculine looking clothes. She dresses Mm -hmm. like a man. 
she and I think that she and Jack are real amazingly kind of opposites of like what is would be expected of characters in that time period so she's like the taciturn defender she's taking on the more male role and Jack is the flamboyant very talkative nurturing individual which would be a more female role so for Anne I feel like for her she's sort of finding herself with Max in a way that she couldn't really find herself with Jack I guess she talks about that a bit and I think that's quite a challenge to Jack isn't it really because he wants to maintain that their partnership is that economically they sort of depend on each other and also for security and safety in terms of being pirates and Max can intrude on that so it's less about the sex which I thought was interesting because I thought a stereotypical storyline in a tv series would be make a sexual jealousy and there's no sexual jealousy there I don't think but they've just been sort of everything to each other for so long I think if there is an issue it's that Jack wants to provide her everything they want to be everything to each other he wants to give her everything that she needs and so he realizes he can't physically be the one to give her this and i think that's why he's like i i obviously i grant you this relationship with max if this is what you need but he doesn't want that to mean that ultimately he will lose their depth of connection to each other which can get complicated if her relationship with max becomes emotional which it does It's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. So those are sort of the main queer relationships in the show, which is a pretty good amount. Uh, Yeah. You know, for a show from this time period or even now. There's also a major non-canonical queer romance that the fandom is really latched onto that we want to mention as well. Mm -hmm. And that is Captain Flint and our good friend Long John Silver. (laughs) Long John Silver is such a silly nickname. Yeah. So John Silver is sort of the beginning of the show. He becomes a member of Flint's crew after they've captured another ship. He has a piece of the map to the Spanish galleon that they're looking for. There's a lot of intrigue. Mm -hmm. But sort of over the course of the show, he bonds with Flint. He becomes more integrated into the crew, a more important member of the crew. Men start following him because he's, he's such a good orator. He's got the gift of gab. Yeah. <laughs> and he becomes the the only character that Flint reveals that he was in this relationship with Thomas. He tells him he was in love with a man. And so there's definitely an interesting dynamic there. Now, he is also trying to get Silver to open up to him, and that doesn't really happen. Silver's pretty tight-lipped about where he came from and who he really is. But in an interesting way, I think, where Silver also feels the intimacy of his relationship with Flint. And when is he is pressed about his past, he sort of is like, I can't tell you. Like, it's like the, for him, that's something that he has completely written off. That's he's decided that's no longer a part of himself and he can't share it. And he's like, I hope this doesn't mean that it affects us, but I, there's nothing I can do. I can't tell you. And so mm-hmm. Flint has to just accept that. But I do think he opens up in all sorts of other ways. Like sometimes in the series, Silver tells Flint stuff about what he's going to do when mm-hmm. he really should, when he really shouldn't. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes he reveals yeah. plots or he reveals ideas, or he talks very much about what he's thinking and how he's feeling about. They talk about their feelings a lot with each other. A lot, yeah. You know, and sometimes in ways in which, like, right at that precise moment, it probably wouldn't be the best time to do this. Do you know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> I think I, I'm not saying there's not intimacy between them. I think honestly, Splint and Silver are the main relationship of the show narratively they're what bring you through the plot and they're the closest in terms of the two people 
who they are close to each other and they are the ones mostly affecting what's going on in the show. You're absolutely supposed to buy into the intimacy of their relationship. I think the interesting piece is Flint's whole thing is his history, right? What makes him is what has happened to him. That's why he's built this entire character for himself. It's why he's doing what he's doing because of Thomas. That's his whole thing. And Silver is the opposite where he's like, my history doesn't define me. I've decided my history is nothing to me and I'm not even going to talk about it. It's done. And you as a viewer are supposed to be like, well, I guess that implies something really terrible happened to him and he doesn't want to talk about it. But I think it's hard for Flint to wrap his mind around you being like, I'm not my history because Flint is his history exclusively. <laughs> and it's an interesting difference between the two of them. And then interestingly, the last sort of set of beats of their relationship is as this war is heating up, the Spanish are getting involved, the British are coming in greater forces, things aren't going super well. Silver's also ended up in this relationship with a, a leader of a group of escaped slaves named Maddie, and he sort of ends up betraying them both. But the way he ends up betraying Flint is he discovers that Thomas, who they thought had died, is in fact alive and living in what is essentially a, like a prison camp in Georgia. And so he Let's Flint know that and shuttles him up. And the, the show ends with Flint and Thomas reuniting. They get to be together in the end and have not like a super happy ending, but you know. it's very bittersweet, the finale of this show. Yeah. I think what's interesting to me about the way that Silver betrays, well, we should talk about Silver, Flint, and Maddie because that's another one of our interesting trios in the show mm -hmm. where I think Maddie and Flint are extremely similar characters they really see a lot of themselves in each other and so that's it's interesting that silver is drawn to them both it's interesting how that all plays out there's a point where maddie is trying to give silver some advice and he's like you sound like flint and she's like is that a bad thing like <laughs> there's this thing interestingly tying them together but the betrayal by flint they're getting to this point in the war where for him it's becoming clear he thinks that if they continue further he could very likely lose either maddie or flint or both of them as things progress and flint and maddie are both fine with that right like the mm -hmm. the war is more important to them than the fact that they would live themselves but silver who has never had people or relationships like this clearly he's never had a home or anything that ties him to anyone else has decided like he can't do that he he will destroy their war effort and maybe neither of them will ever forgive him but it will be worth it so that they will live. And so he has to live with that. And he does have, like Flint tells him, you're going to regret it in their final scene with each other. And, you know, maybe you'll be able to keep Maddie, but even that's not going to be enough for you. And when he has this conversation with Maddie, it's not clear that she's going to be okay with it because she's not even sure if he's killed Flint. Like Flint is now gone and she's been told this story that Flint is with Thomas, but she's like, sure, maybe that's what happened. Who knows? And so you're left in this place where it's like really unclear what Silver's relationship is going to be with either of them going forward. And so him making that choice, I think is fascinating where he's like, I am willing for you both to hate me as long as you are not dead. <laughs> and he abandons the entire effort of the show in order to assure their safety. And so then you have Flint ends up with Thomas and you're like, well, it's happy that Thomas is alive, but also everything he's been trying to do for the last several years is over. I do think that that is kind of foreshadowed a couple of times. Big when Silver sort of asks Flint, like, would you give all this up if you could get yeah. Thomas back? But I think the problem is 
I think Flint is too far gone by that point. And he's been so used to living without Thomas and he thinks Thomas is dead. So there's no choice to be made. Whereas mm-hmm. I think for Silver, it really is a choice. It's a big choice, isn't it? It's like... Well, he thinks he loses Maddie at one point and that's what I think forces and he's, his hand. And he's, he's devastated. He's devastated. Yeah. Like he can't, he can't function at all, almost really. And I sort of feel like that is a real act of love is just to keep the people you love safe even at the risk of them no longer loving you i mean it's a real sort of i think everyone heroic act trying to act out of love right like flint is too but they're coming from different places and they have different ideas about what that means so yeah i i absolutely think silver does it because he loves them but that doesn't mean it's not very painful for them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's really interesting. And then I love the bittersweetness of him getting Thomas back, but there being this like, I don't think getting Thomas back erases the pain and rage of what has happened to him and how he feels about everything and why he has wanted to do what he's done. And so you can't imagine him just being like, okay, Thomas is alive, so I'm fine now. We'll just happily live quietly forever and I'll never think about this again. (laughs) Well, I mean, he's going to have to explain where Miranda is and he's going to have to tell that story and that's a very hard story for Thomas to, for Thomas to hear I imagine because yeah, she well, didn't so Miranda dies and she doesn't die in the nicest way and then she's kind of her body her dead body's paraded in front of a crowd and a town yeah, square it's awful. it's awful and also he's gonna have to kind of I guess relate <laughs> the fact that he started a war and he killed a whole I, bunch of people and- I think what's hard for him is he's gonna have to tell him like who Flint is, who yeah. he's become, what he has created and what he has done and why and dealing with and the feelings so of much that. of his story thematically is about shame. And like, you know, it's not clear that any of his shame has resolved. And he certainly gained some more shame as the show has gone along. So, yeah, you know, there, there could certainly be a, a sequel of like, Let's spend time resolving with... Yeah, Flint Goes to Therapy is the sequel that I want to (laughs) see. But yeah, the shame thing I think is interesting because that's a large part of why he's so mad. It's not just that British society took Thomas away from him and, and killed Thomas and ruined his life. It's They made him also feel shame about the fact that he loved this guy. And it's like, you shouldn't have to deal with that too on top of all the rest of it. Leaving that behind is is hard the internalized stuff is I think the I most think, painful I think I felt that Flint James McGraw got where he was in the Navy by playing by the game basically playing mm-hmm. the game by its rules by paying attention to what people said by keeping his reputation kind of good by working really hard and when his surrogate father figure the Admiral or Sea Lord or wherever he is says to him Sea Lord they call him Sea Lord they do call him Sea Lord oh, that's, that's, that's the best the Sea Lords. But when he calls, I, I want to be a Sea Lord. Can I be a uh, Sea me Lord? Me too. Yeah, that's a great title. <laughs> a Sea Lady, Sea Dame. When he's beating up that guy in the bar, his mentor says to him, you know, there's this other side to you that you're hiding from yourself and you're hiding from everybody. And that is Flint, right? So Flint's always been there. He's just buried down deep. He's Because he's had to work his way out of basically poverty, working class poverty, to become somebody in this society. Whereas mm-hmm. Thomas Hamilton... It also doesn't fit in this society, but for other reasons. But Thomas Hamilton hasn't had to build, work his way up. It reminds me a little bit of that conversation that Calico Jack has with 
Woods. <laughs> What's his name again? Woods Rogers, yeah. Rogers. Can't remember his name. Calico Jack says to Woods Rogers, like, we arrived at the same place, but I had a lot of catching up to do. I didn't start out with a wealthy family and, you know, my parents gave me everything and I had a ship and a fleet. Like, I, I started out from very humble backgrounds and I had to work really hard and really fast to catch up to the place where mm-hmm. you are now. And I think a lot that's a, that's a theme running through a lot of the a lot of the characters' storylines and characters' journeys, like Charles Vance, you know, like starting out almost pretty much as a slave from her childhood. Yeah. Like basically a lot of these characters are trying to build better lives for themselves. But Flint is really the one that feels shame about it. Well the other thing the show is about is narratives, the power of story building a story about yourself and who is, you know, who has the power to write history and write people's stories. And all of these pirates are trying to create a story for themselves that will live on. And Flint talks a lot about how the British Empire intentionally writes the story of them as monsters and things to be afraid of in the dark. And they're not that. So speaking of characters who help other characters realize pirates might not be monsters. The other bit of headcanon that we want to mention is around the character of Billy Bones. This is an interesting headcanon. Yeah, so throughout the show, again, we have these interesting relationships, but by and large, when the pirates come back to Nassau, many of the minor characters, their first thing is like, we gotta get to the brothel. Oh yeah. We can't stay offshore, I gotta go see my favorite prostitute. And then you have the character of Billy Bones, who seems to never be in that space doesn't seem to have any romantic relationships with anyone. And that could mean a whole variety of things, of course. It could Mm -hmm. just be that the writers chose not to focus on that. But a headcanon that has emerged from the fandom is that Billy Bones might be asexual. And you know what? There's not a lot of asexuals on TV. So like, sure. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. I think this is a totally valid headcanon. I think to me, what's what it says, though, is the state of things is pretty bad. Everyone is so sexualized that if one character just happens to not have any sexual relationships on screen, then we have to be like, maybe he's asexual because we need representation. Everyone else is having sex constantly. Yeah, but I did I did transition to this referencing what might be my favorite scene in the, in the show, which I do want to talk about a little bit, mm-hmm. which is at one point, a group of pirates have captured the daughter of the governor of South Carolina, North Carolina. A Carolina. And Captain Flynn is bringing her back because he has a relationship with Thomas. Miranda, there's like a whole lot of plot. And she's on the boat being like, oh, these pirates are all monsters. They're, they're not even human. She sees an unattractive pirate who's covered in scars and she's like, I'm terrified of them. And then they're having dinner one night and Billy Bones shows up to say something. And I don't know the actor's name, but you guys might. Billy Bones? Yeah. Tom Hopper or something like that. Yeah. He's like very conventionally attractive. He's super tall and square jawed, square jawed, blonde, blue eyed. And she sees him and is immediately like, maybe pirates could be okay. (laughs) And he just looks at her. Why is this woman looking at me? I'm doing my work. (laughs) And he gets out of He's always doing his work. And she, and she finds out his backstory, right? And his backstory is that he, he had a he had a life. He had parents, you know, like, and I'm like, like all the pirates did. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Every person here had a life before they but were pirates. But he's handsome. I just feel, I feel like, I just, I, mm, I just feel it's really problematic to think somebody is like, 
morally decent because they're good looking. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of very good looking, morally Bad corrupt people. Morally corrupt people That's out there. The thing then too is then in the next scene she sees that you know quote unquote ugly pirate again, and she's like, hmm, maybe that guy also has a family and a life and an inner you know feeling. Well, it's amazing what it takes for people to learn that about other humans. You know, it's depressing and horrible. But like, if that did, if she can transfer that to looking at unattractive people and being like, maybe they are also people. Like, good for you. You're learning and growing in the world. <laughs> This, this actually leads to one of my favorite scenes. It's the trial. Or actually, it's not the trial. It's the hanging, isn't it? Of Charles Vane and Flint. And they're sitting there on these chairs in front of a whole audience. Basically, a huge crowd of people. And the diary of the, the governor's daughter is being read out. And it's just the most like condescending naive stupid sentiments in the diary you know like pirates are people too and you know you know just like this sort of you know i've discovered that they have feelings and they had lives and they may have to do things that they don't mm-hmm. want to do for reasons that they you know that, that are complicated and yeah. they're not just evil demons yet and flint yeah. and charles are just sitting there like why are we listening to this <laughs> and, and like just like what like these two adult men listening to this diary of a teenage girl being read out right before they get hanged and, yeah. and then they just i think they start talking to each other don't they they just start ignoring me yeah because like, they're like biding their time waiting for whatever their plan is gonna come into action like, so they're like, like what is it what is, it, what what is this what bullshit <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny no, that girl's whole turn is hilarious and like, yeah. oh my God. It's a huge realization for a teenage girl in the <laughs> 1700s, you know? She's been told all her life that pirates are evil. Thank goodness Billy Bones is just so <laughs> handsome. The power of Billy Bones is his, attractiveness. Changing minds, winning hearts right? and minds, like, you know? Sharp, sharp jawline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. I do love like Vane and Flint bonding in that scene, though. They're a fun yeah. duo that you don't see. I wish a lot there was of more of them together, the actually. Like, but you know, sadly, <laughs> Charles Vane meets his fate. There's yeah. only so much Vane to go around, you know. Yeah, true, true. But yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so that is a lot of the pairings and duos and trios of the of the group, and then our interesting Billy Bones asexual head canon. So I think. Unless we have more to say about the specific pairings on the show, we can move on to some quotes. We love a quote. Yeah, we have a good number of quotes for this episode, too. A lot of talk between the actors about the choices that they made in the show. So mm-hmm. how are we how are we going to work through these? So we have a set of quotes because when it this is all sort of revolving around when it becomes public knowledge that Flint has this gay backstory that was played as a reveal over the course of season two. So once this is out there in the public, they got quotes from basically all the actors on the show, like, how do you feel about this? <laughs> so we have a whole set of those. And then we have some quotes specifically from the actor who plays Flint about his experience of it because he knew all along so it wasn't a reveal for him but how he experienced it throughout and then some hilarious fun quotes from Rupert Penry Jones who played Thomas Hamilton so that's sort of the order that these will play out and then we'll get to a little bit from the creator Mm -hmm. to kick off we'll start with a quote from Sean Cameron Michael who played Richard Guthrie when he found out he said I had no idea they were going to go that direction and when I got the script for it 
and it said Flint turns to Thomas and they kiss. I was like, what? Seriously? Fuck. Whoa. Okay. And I was like, reread it. Where are my glasses? Let me reread this. Seriously? I was really, really shocked. And I was like, fuck, how brave, how brave are the writers? How brave is stars to go there with that? I think it's beautiful that black sales can go there, that the story can go there. I think what then happens is with all the flashbacks in season two, which are beautiful and amazing, it's almost like one wants to quickly then rewind the tape, quickly go back to season one and go, were there any clues there? But I think it's great. And I think it's really, really brave that Stars is going there with it. Oh, this is like my ideal quote on this podcast. <laughs> I'm obsessed with when people go on and on about how brave it is to make characters gay. <laughs> Imagine the persecution they could be facing. And also and also and also the whole like were there any clues? Like you know like a gay yeah. person has to somehow have like a button or a flag sticking out of their body or like some clue that I am not, you know, I am not heterosexual. He was waving that gay pride flag. Yeah, I didn't notice that, you know, he had the particular yeah. ear pierced and he was wearing a handkerchief in this back pocket. And you're like, like, Good like, God, like man. the sexuality <laughs> is always like signposted, you know? I mean, pe people don't always signpost or go around talking about what their sexuality is. It's yeah. your assumptions about them. That is what is me what means that you think yeah. something about yeah. them, right? So I guess this guy assumes straight, I suppose. <laughs> I would say the biggest clues were his relationship with Miranda through all of season one. <laughs> yeah. I think as you know, we'll get into or as we've talked about, there is some evidence through the weirdness of his character in season one, like something something's happening. Something's happening. Something's going on. But I also, now that we mentioned it, love the idea of someone doing like a, an edit where like this quote is overlaid and then they've, they've cut in like a gay pride flag or like a handkerchief <laughs> or like a piercing and they're like, how oh did you God. not notice there were <laughs> so wearing many a t-shirt that says I'm gay? <laughs> <laughs> I oh, I love that. So anyway, I mean, no hate to Sean Michael, Cameron Michael. Yeah, he's, he's loving yeah, it. He's, he's having a great time. Like but not, like... Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it's still yeah. hilarious. <laughs> your your classic. It's so brave, yeah. but he's on board clearly, and he's like, awesome. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't believe it. It was so cool, yeah. so brave. So yeah, fantastic. And now we have one from Zach McGowan who plays Charles Vane. And he said, I think the fans are going to love it because I think it further justifies Flint's character. I mean, there's going to be people who are pissed, like, fuck that. You can't do that to pirates. You know what I mean? I'm really excited for that conversation to happen because it's probably a rare thing to go back and show his history and a homosexual relationship that is basically what has made him become a pirate is, I think, awesome. I remember when we read episode five last year, we were all texting like, oh, my God. Then we were on set like, did you read that? Holy shit. He was basically persecuted by the people who were supposed to be his community and the government so i think it's going to be essentially the foundation for the rest of the show and i think that you know what the people who don't like it will have to ask their questions about why they don't like things to themselves <laughs> too true keep away homophobes Sadly, don't bring us your questions ask those questions but <laughs> we can ask the questions for them <laughs> <laughs> i mean we'll again we'll get to it but there are probably some people yeah. who needed to ask themselves those questions yeah, but I like this because, sure, there's the like, yay, we're on a show where there's gay representation. I feel happy about that. But I like that his quote's mostly about how important it is to the story and how like narratively it's a great turn and 
that's the whole point is like this is going to be the main thing of the show now i love this as a narrative twist and you're like yeah totally great mm-hmm. it's, it's a more important conversation than like we're so brave <laughs> no and again getting at what we were just saying right like this fills in his backstory and explains the weirdness of season one yeah Exactly. It's quality storytelling. You're watching season one and you're like, why does this man behave this way? And then you watch season two and you're like, it all makes sense. (laughs) All coming together. It's all coming together. Next, we have some great quotes from Toby Schmitz, who played Calico Jack. He says, God, it's good. You know what I loved about it? The kiss is nothing and what the big reveal is. It just sets off a sequence. It was this huge sequence in the middle of it. There's a kiss. Before I saw it, I rather momentarily thought, oh, that'll be the big wow moment. But it's all the stuff that comes after it. Because right up to the kiss, I think you're going, oh, my God, this is a three-way salon idea. And then the emotional fallout of how much he loved him and how much he felt ashamed is the real power of the next six or seven minutes after the kiss. That's the knockout television, I thought. It's the sequence after the kiss. I thought, well, I haven't seen that on telly and definitely not on a pirate genre mash show. I thought it was great. And they've been setting it up from the beginning that this is a sexually fluid world. There's different rules here. I keep thinking about Berlin 1922 or San Francisco 1967 when the gloves are off about partner swapping, about going with your actual gut and finding out who you are sexually and then the emotional fallout of that. Toby Schmitz, I'm in love with you. <laughs> this quote is the best quote. Berlin, 1922. San Francisco, 1967. He's a fancy man. He's a fancy man. Also, three-way salon. That's I mean, really he's, good. He's kind of right, I think, that the show sort of explores like the emotional weight of relationships, regardless of yep. whether they are straight... The characters are more sexually fluid. I think that it enjoys the parallels of the different relationships. So, you know, like the triangle here, another triangle mm-hmm. there. But it's not It's not like saying this is a gay relationship and we should be so brave about it. Or like, it's not making a point. I mean, I guess, the, I guess it makes a point that like Thomas and Flint's relationship isn't accepted in society. But once you enter the pirate world, I don't think really anyone, anybody cares. Do you know what I mean? It's more about how these people are relating yeah. to each other. And some, mm-hmm. sometimes it's sexual. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's um, a close friendship. Sometimes it's romantic. And so he's, he's right. It's like, it's different rules, you know? And it's kind of almost like there aren't as, there aren't as many yeah. rules people are able to navigate this emotional experience themselves, the sexual and emotional experience themselves. Well, it also is sort of just generally in this world of the show, removing the sexual component as like the most important aspect of a relationship because they all have these really intimate, important personal relationships with each other. And like even the ones that aren't sexual or at least aren't explicitly sexual in the show are just as narratively compelling because these people are all so intertwined with each other in these interesting ways, which is why I think we talked about the the sort of all of the trios of the show and the way that the relationships play out is not usually just like what these two people mean to each other, but like how does the three of them all interact and and how does that affect them, which I think is interesting. But yeah, he also touches on an idea we talked about, which is how much shame plays a factor in uh, Flint's story, which I think is really important and interesting for him. So he's right that like the kiss itself doesn't play as this huge, crazy moment in the episode. The reason that episode is impactful is because not that you're seeing the two guys kiss, but that's the aha moment of like a season and a half of figuring out Flint's 
persona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, all of the, the ways that that play out are like, oh my God, it's all coming together. Everything about it makes sense now, which is quality storytelling. Schmitz gets it. Yep. And, you know, it's, I think what we've talked about as well, right? Like, why would you leave society to go be a pirate? It's because the rules that are set up in society don't allow you to be yourself or find yourself. And I think that's true with Flynn and it's true with Anne and a lot of the characters. Yeah. So the final of the other actor quotes we have is from Clara Paget, who played Anne Bonny. And she says, I loved it because obviously going along with my storyline as well, it's just exploring these relationships in this time where gay and lesbian, it wasn't defined. It still isn't. For some reason, we'd like to define it and put it in boxes nowadays. So I loved that storyline and making a male do it for once. We've seen the girl on girl stuff and it was time to show that. And you know, they're at sea. It's like being in the army or in the Navy. Of course you're going to create these bonds. It's a generally male society, so it makes total sense. I think it's great and it's brave that they touched on that because they're these macho guys. To show that sign on television with pirates is brave. I was very proud of them for putting that in. (laughs) So brave. So brave. (laughs) No, but it's important because, yes, the show was quick to show lesbians explicit lesbians because there's not any sort of societal price to be paid for showing lesbians right yeah nobody ever says that that's brave is this what this is going to be is this exploitative and then the show evolves in a way we're like okay no they're really just exploring a lot of different things and i appreciate that yeah i do i really appreciate her saying making the male do it for once I think also, honestly, there is a point to be made about relationships like this developing in a generally male society or an almost all male society. I think it says something about us as a society that like we're shocked or surprised when men develop romantic relationships with each other in a society where they're all very much they're all basically just men. Because it's, I think it says something mm-hmm. that, that we that we don't see men as necessarily as romantic unless there's a woman there do you know what I mean and like mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's interesting that I think people who are watching this show had like maybe possibly had less knowledge about the fact that in this period of the golden age of pirates there was actual common practices of men forming economic and like romantic unions with each other I mean there's even a word for it you know metallotage Metalotage. Metalotage? I never know how to pronounce it. It's French, yeah. So that sort of makes sense, wouldn't it? It sounds like French. Which is like a same-sex civil union between pirates and sailors in the 17th and 18th centuries where they could share each other's economic goods and they could share each other's wealth and and also that they would inherit from one another if one of them died. But also historians think there was probably oftentimes a romantic aspect to this too. It wasn't just a, a sort of economic thing. I think we should be seeing more gay pirates. Gay pirates have been woefully underrepresented in media up until this point. Now we have two shows with gay pirates and it's not enough. No. Give me more. Okay. So should we talk about Toby Stevens? Yes. So that brings us to the two actors in our our main couple of Flint and Thomas Hamilton. We have a few quotes from Toby Stevens. The first is, You're setting up this character in a certain way. And what I found particularly amusing was before the revelation, I had this huge following from guys. But as soon as that happened, it was like they had been betrayed. It was the sense of utter betrayal. And I wasn't surprised because I knew it was going to be a massive thing. And you're kind of pulling the rug out from under them in a certain way. 
For a lot of guys, they just can't get their head around it. What was really interesting was you had this massive outcry from all those kind of guys. Then you also had a massive outcry from the people going, that's fantastic. <laughs> and then in a similar vein, he also is talking about the people that he heard from that had issues with it. And he says, then most of the guys that had cried out against it, by the end of it, they'd come around again. And you go, that's kind of cool. And it's exactly the point of why you're doing this. Because of his sexuality, it doesn't define who this person is. <laughs> I love that he had experiences with people who changed their minds because that's, those are not the people that you hear from for the no. most part. You hear from people who are either on board immediately who, or who saw that turn and were like, this show's not what I thought it was. So, I mean, <laughs> I know we're going to go and talk about this a bit more later because we'll talk about what academics and researchers have said about this show. But he's talking about a particular phenomenon as well, as I think, which is, we're going to talk about it, so I won't talk to say too much, but they call it heterobating, which I don't think is a real term. I think it's just been created <laughs> by angry people. That's the natural assumption, basically. It's based on natural assumption that somebody is heterosexual and that that heterosexuality is a norm. And I think that's kind of a little bit of what he's sort of talking about here, which is that people were felt betrayed. Yeah, because- but not... not- Yeah, not just the heteronormativity assumption of it, but the idea that like the creators of the show specifically played on your heteronormative assumptions and then flipped them around to mess with you. Whereas (laughs) I don't think there was any indication in season one that we knew anything sure or certain about James Flint's sexuality. He was a man of mystery. I mean, all we saw is him have sex with a woman and seemingly not enjoy it. Again, it, you watch season one, you're like, something's going on. It's happening. Here. Yeah. Don't know what it is yet. But certainly, but. I would say, didn't have enough evidence to conclusively make any decisions about his sexuality after season one. <laughs> yes. I agree with that. But yeah, it's a fun, different scenario for him because he knew from when they cast him on the show. So he always knew it was leading up to this time when people would like freak out about it. And I'm sure... All of his interactions with people during season one that were like, you know, bros who were coming to him to be like, Flint's so cool, man. I fucking love how cool Flint is. <laughs> like he had to be thinking, oh, I can't wait. He's go- he's going to become cooler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait till season two. So that's good stuff. He was having a good time. But, you know, mm-hmm. who wasn't having as good of a time? <laughs> Rupert Penry Jones. Yeah. Thomas Hamilton. <laughs> This is a good set of quotes. Okay, so he says about his arc in the show, I knew that it would be a big deal. Can you imagine the lead character in a show about pirates with a famous character like Flint and you're going to basically say that he's gay? That's kind of massive. I mean, the cast didn't even know about it until they actually got that episode. It was very hush-hush, but I thought it was a great idea. So far, you're thinking, Mm -hmm. so good, right? Yeah. (laughs) But unfortunately, he's bringing in the idea of a a conspiracy of sorts. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He suggested that his role on the show was scaled back after some people were, quote, freaked out by the (laughs) storyline. He says, I don't know what happened, but I think maybe there were some people at the top who were uncomfortable about that side of things. So maybe it didn't get put into the show as much as maybe it was originally going to be. I was certainly led to believe Hamilton was a more major character than he ended up being. So I think what happened was they started seeing the storyline, what a major effect it was having, and it freaked a few people out like, no, 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 we can have lesbian pirates, but not gay ones. (laughs) 
The people at the top. <laughs> the people at the top. I love this idea because the creators of the show, when they conceived of the show, always knew that this was the plan. Presumably mm-hmm. when they pitched the show to stars, they said that was part of the plan. They delivered on that plan. It cannot be said that Flint and Hamilton are not explicitly in a relationship on the show. They kiss. There's like, you know, them in bed together. Oh, yeah. Confessions of love. Confessions, Confessions of love. Of love. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so I mean, I get he's getting a little bit at the I think what we hinted at a bit earlier in the show of the idea of like maybe they didn't show as much explicit sexual material with the two of them as they have with some lesbian characters on the show. But to me, in my mind, that's that's a storytelling choice. I think we talked about maybe they were trying to focus more on the sort of romantic elements of their relationship than the sexual ones in an intentional way. But to me, this smacks of someone who is just upset about his, his screen time. <laughs> like, not, not so much the storytelling, because to me, the storytelling is effectively doing what I presume they were trying to do. But he believes in his heart of hearts that he was told he would be, I'm going to be number two on the call sheet or something. I'm going to be a hugely important character. And they've basically written me out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know if he expected to be in more flashbacks, because maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure what else you would add to the story. I mean, you could story. give him a sex scene, but then that would just be one more scene. Like, it's not like they couldn't extend the story anymore right. because yeah. he was hauled off to Bedlam, wasn't he? And yeah. James had to flee. And yeah, then supposedly supposed killed. Like, yeah. Like, I feel like like that's had to happen, you know? I mean, like. <laughs> that's the entire motivating factor for the main character of the show. And, and I don't think that you can argue that his character is not major in terms of the repercussions on the show. He's a He's influential character. The show doesn't happen without Thomas Hamilton. You know, okay, well, could you show more scenes of them in love? Maybe, but would it, just, it would just be making the same point that you've already made. I mean, certain point in the show... Thomas Hamilton kind of talks about Adam and Eve, com- sort of as if he's comparing him and James to Adam and Eve. And then, you know, he writes in the beginning of that book, like we said before, you know, to my my deepest love, or my truest love. My yeah, truest I mean, love. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I, no I just, shame. Like, yeah. I just feel like what if you showed them, I don't know, having a picnic <laughs> together and canoodling in the park or something, then I just I just feel like you're just showing them what we've already <laughs> showed them. And, and I'm pretty sure that yeah. writers creators producers people who are making the show right scenes are money scenes are a time you know so you don't necessarily need to say show something that you don't need to show every scene should yeah be right. useful in some way right so yeah and it's a huge ensemble cast too we're tracking a lot of different characters and a lot of different storylines and it's not super relevant to like the present yeah. ongoing plot too so you have to kind of Right, manage all of that yeah. as you're fitting it together. Yeah. One, and this is his exact complaint, but from the perspective of the showrunners, like if we've effectively told the story and the scenes that we have, I don't need to be paying Rupert Penry Jones to come in for three more episodes. <laughs> I just don't need to. Yeah. Like I, the story is told. I don't know why. I get that he's, you know, feels slighted in some way, but it's very funny to me that his angle is like someone at the top has silenced me. <laughs> I mean, I think that, I think that does happen in shows. Sure. Yeah. But not usually in shows that have canonical yeah. queer yeah. representation yeah. on yeah. them like this. So I don't, that's very funny. I don't know if this is because we're rushing up against it, a good point to talk about stars and their representation more generally. Mm-hmm. Stars. I mean, well, because it, 
this would make sense. What he's saying would make sense if stars had had a history of not showing queer characters on screen or or cutting down on queer mm-hmm. storylines or shutting stuff down like that. But before Black Sails was even on air, I think it was either bef- right before it or around the same time, there was Spartacus, <laughs> which has queer representation both in the first few seasons, but also in the later season of Spartacus, which is where the action really heats up like there's an actual rebellion against the romans which is amazing there is a gay couple who are shown explicitly having sex with each other an explicit clear love story very romantic love story and i mean i don't know if i should spoil it for anybody but they are the only people to properly survive <laughs> it's, like, it's like at the love end it. of the show Yay, like love everyone it. Nice. opposite of burying your gays bury everyone other people, than your gays the gay, the gay couple go off and, and I mean <laughs> you know, I'm not really spoiling it because it's actual history I mean Spartacus Rebellion failed sure so I don't think Rupert Penry Jones argument really makes sense in this context because Star, other star shows were doing it. So if it was going to be the network of the producers, then they would have shut that down. And then obviously like P-Valley. I mean, I know P-Valley is many, many years later. Yeah, but this continues the tradition of gay representation yeah. on stars. Stars is arguably yeah. the most yeah. queer-friendly. Because <laughs> Spartacus started in 2010 mm-hmm. and this show okay. started in 2014. So it's, yeah. it's before. And I mean, there is, I think about Outlander, Outlander's a bit of a different situation, but there is a, there is a canonical gay character in Outlander. I mean, he's not shown as being particularly lucky in love, but he's he exists in the show, and the people who care about him and are close to him accept his sexuality, and they accept him, and they do you know what I mean? It's like he's not condemned. He's not condemned for being gay. It, yeah. he's, he finds it hard hard in the society that he lives in, but he's not. That's not shown as being like a character flaw or a problem or. So, and obviously P-Valley, I mean, P-Valley is mm-hmm. probably the most accurate, clear, diverse representation, I think. Yeah, I mean, to me, P-Valley is sort of, you'd think we've gotten further than we have in terms of representation in 2023, yeah. but not really. And P-Valley is like some of the best, like they're showing parts of the gay experience that you're not seeing yeah, anywhere else on television. Yeah, and also the gay experience in other ethnic communities, you know, so like the gay experience mm-hmm. from like an African-American yeah. point of view which i mean is mm-hmm. something you don't see yeah you're not yeah. seeing a lot of that no <laughs> so it doesn't seem like the people at the top at least yeah again on the network side right are gonna be like spartacus yes outlander sure p valley absolutely <laughs> but not these pirates not you rupert henry except no. yes these pirates but not enough of them for rupert penry jones yes. it's specifically rupert penry jones's gay pirate that is offensive to me yeah and if it's like if it's like macho it's about like you know macho men we don't want to make macho men seem effeminate or gay or whatever you know that they're worried about then surely that would apply to Spartacus mm-hmm. because, I mean, what's more macho than a bunch of gladiators, you know? And uh, surely that show would also appeal to a bunch of men who are interested in seeing fight scenes. I mean, Spartacus, the whole se- or the whole series is very yeah. violent. There's a lot of gore. It's interesting because this is this specifically is water that Stars has treaded in before, a show that feels to many as if it is specifically targeted at like a straight male demographic and then you got your you got your gays in there because they're there people we got to show them they're there so yeah funny 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 so we're not sure about that rupert penry (laughs) we're just not sure we're not sure about these comments (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. Okay. So speaking of the those at the top, freaked out. <laughs> we have a little bit of a quote from John Steinberg, who's co-creator of Black Sails, talking about sort of like why they went in this direction. How did you guys decide to tell the show this way? So he says, there's some freedom in the moment you realize that the historic record is severely compromised in terms of what these people's lives were like. They had a motive to lie, and so did the people in London. It gives us the room to try to tell a story that will hopefully feel real. It probably won't necessarily match up to the textbook to what happened, but I think we would probably argue that the textbook is already a narrative that somebody with an agenda put together a long, long time ago. Yeah. Preach. Yeah, I love John. that. I love that. <laughs> this is obviously in response to some people being like, there's no evidence. Yeah, there weren't gay no. people then. <laughs> yeah. There definitely <laughs> <like> were. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. yeah. I love, that. I love that. Yeah, but I, but I didn't read about them in the history. Well, we all know that the history that we learned in school was, I mean, constructed in a particular way by people who had particular ideas and agendas. And I mean, all history is, you know. I mean, the whole point of history is it's supposed to be rewritten every time someone studies something, they find something new and they rewrite the history. That's what historians are supposed to do. So you're not supposed to learn one history mm-hmm. and then stick with that and keep it, keep to that. And right, the point is that there's not a ton of primary documentation. And also that that can be of a number of reasons as well. Like when you're studying a community that aren't necessarily widely educated. They might not all be writing about their experiences on paper. Yeah. There's both like a literacy component and also... Right, these again, these people have escaped society. I don't know that they're writing for posterity to society about this is what I'm doing in my day to day. I can't wait yeah. till this gets back to you know. So yeah, we have the issue of there not being a lot of primary source material, the incentive of people at the time to not necessarily represent their experiences accurately because there's stuff they were doing that, you know, could have gotten them jailed or killed. And then we also have the from like looking back version of historians applying their own either heteronormativity and just like, you know, biases or specific efforts to not tell <laughs> these sort of stories. And it all leads to us getting that that meme of seeing two people in love and then historians will say that they're they were roommates. Friends. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh my God, they historians were will say that they were I mean, close friends. People also when we were watching the show, people also took issue, like I saw on Reddit, Reddit for a wild, wild west Reddit is. You know, people took issue with with the storylines connected to the the community of escaped enslaved people, but but you know, like, and sure. people had problems with that. And it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, enslaved individuals didn't have the ability to, or didn't have the opportunities or resources, all the time, even to write narratives for themselves. I mean, do you know, I mean, so, so if you're if you're going to just only take written material or written sources as an example of history, you're cutting out great swathes of the human population. Not like it's a population that was specifically not educated. Yeah. <laughs> Intentionally. Well, and if if you had managed to escape from your captivity, I don't think that advertising it was high on the list. Of, you weren't, of you your weren't writing missives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, I, I just applaud the idea of like, let's take back our history, right? We The sort of queering of history is something we need to be doing more of. Well, yeah. And I think to Clara's point, right, like this is a thing that we know that media reinforces, right? So it's this story of like, we put people of color in cowboy stories and white people freak out and they're like, this is woke nonsense. And you're, you're like, like, no, it's we've, the just truth. Been, we've just been telling stories incorrectly through mass media for a hundred years. Yeah. What you've absorbed is not 
Correct. And it just self-perpetuates because the more you see things a certain way, the more they go to make some sort of historical thing set in London and it's like yeah. all white people and people are like, can we can we put in some not white people? And they're like, but there weren't non-white people in London then? And you're like, there were. I promise you there were. Right. Exactly. It's it's who's in power to tell these stories. But we promise you, as long as Europeans have been going around collecting people of color, yeah. there have been people of color in places. And they've been doing that yeah. a long time. True. All right. Excellent. So a wonderful set of quotes. Shall we move mm-hmm. along to the literature? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So this is our usual AO3 check-in. Let's talk about some metrics, how many stories there are. I believe there has been a teeny, a little baby boom of interest in this ship following in extreme interest in our flag means death. So I think these numbers have gone up a little bit in recent times. What we found was about 5,500 total black sails fic. And then within that, 2,100 of them are tagged Flint Silver and about 1,400 are Flint Thomas. So an interesting, like almost parody between the ships there in terms yeah. of what's the most popular. But it's a solid number of fix. Yes. Because both of them are pretty notable ships within the community, we ended up reading a fic for both of them, a Flint Silver fic and a Thomas Flint fic. So we can talk about both of them. The first that we read was the top Flint Thomas fic called Nature's Delight by Fire. Do you want to talk about it or shall I? I can. So Nature's Delight, basically, they capture a ship. Mm-hmm. And they find that there is a prisoner on board. And I think what Billy Bones says, hey, Captain, we found a prisoner. And oh, my God, it's Thomas. Who saw that coming? And Flint is like, get out of your Billy down. Billy's like, what's going on? And so, you know, Thomas is not in the best of health, unsurprisingly. No. And Flint ends up taking him back to the house that he shared with Miranda. This is taking place after Miranda has died. And Flint is unsurprisingly very protective of Thomas. He's wary of anyone coming around to to check in on them. He wants to take care of him all by himself. But at the same time, there's a little bit of he's worried how Thomas will feel about him now that he's become a cutthroat pirate that, mm-hmm. you know, he killed their their friend after their friend killed Miranda. Yeah, he wasn't much of a friend, really. He was a bad friend. <laughs> Flint killed Thomas's father. He's very concerned about it. So over the course of the story, Mr. Scott is coming in to try to help. And he's he's brought a, another woman to help take care of, of Thomas. But Flint is very resistant. But Thomas is eventually like, it's fine. I still love you. I've changed too. Mm -hmm. We're going to figure this out together. I'm fine with you being a pirate. And it's nice. Yeah. Anything, anything I missed? The only thing that I found in general, yeah, hurt comfort, very sweet. Nice to see them together again. The thing that I found sort of like muddled and interesting about this was the idea that they're going to try to complete the mission that they started back when he was working with Thomas, where I'm like, I don't really know. I think the mission has changed a little bit. Like the idea initially was this very British empire paternalistic, but nice thing of like, well, we'll just pardon all the pirates and then everyone will be happy. And like, if you watch the show, when the pirate pardoning is happening, it's another effort to control the pirates. And there's a Mm -hmm. reason that Flint doesn't want people to sign on to it. Right. And so 
it's just sort of interesting to me that it's framed as like, we can finally get back to our original mission. <laughs> I was like, ah, okay, I think circumstances have changed a little bit, but I do hope you do some sort of mission. Good for you guys. Yeah, because I feel like the original mission in the series with the pardoning of the pirates was never going to work. I mean, not to criticize Thomas for his <laughs> optimistic and hopeful beliefs. Yeah, I feel, oh, I, I feel like I really love Thomas. Yeah. I feel like he's got a good heart. Yeah, he's, he's trying to do guy. something bigger and better, <laughs> but he's not realizing that yeah. actually the British Empire is the problem. Yeah, so, and I feel like yeah. the pirates themselves, they don't want to be hanged, so pardoning would prevent that, I suppose, but they don't want to also be under the thumb of the British Empire. And that's, that's, Right, which is the actual when when Woods Rogers comes to town offering pardons, it is not in this sort of like we'll all just live in harmony and be friends with each other. Yeah, keep keep the profits of anything that happens to yourself. No, 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 no. So yeah, that original pardon scheme needs a little bit of revision. I think now that they've both had the lived experiences that they have had. But anyway, generally very sweet. Nice to see him taking care of Thomas. Yeah, he deserves it. So the other fic is a Flint Silver fic called Until Death, It Is All Life by Kraft Narok. And this one is a little bit of a different tone. It begins after Silver, after Flint has told Silver about his relationship with Hamilton. They've had this like bonding moment and he's told him about this experience that has animated all of his experiences in life. And Silver now finally understands him. And what Silver has taken out of this is a bit of an obsession with the idea that Flint was in this gay relationship. He can't help himself from thinking about it and he's imagining it and he realizes he's imagining it all the time, but he doesn't know what Thomas Hamilton looks like. So he started maybe imagining himself in these sexy scenes with Flint. And he's like, Oh man, I got to do something about this. (laughs) So the two of them go to Miranda's house one day to just sort of chill and have a free day. And He can't stop thinking about it. So he finally sort of in his mind subtly asks Flint what Thomas looks like. And Flint is like, what the fuck? Like, why are you bothering me about this? (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? Stop asking about Thomas. There's a picture of him in the other room if you want to go look at his portrait. And so Flint goes and he looks at Thomas's portrait and he's like, oh, okay. He's not what I expected. Now I can think about this. But he realizes in that like, I don't know that that's going to do it for me. Like, I think imagining myself with Flint is really what has been turning me on about this situation. (laughs) So this could be an issue. And he goes back out and just sort of like is subtly annoying Flint for the rest of the day by going around and touching all of his meaningful possessions within Miranda's house and flint is like like why what is going on why are you acting like this and finally at the end of the day they go back to the ship and flint invites him back into his quarters and now that they're back on the ship he is like offering him a drink and he seems in a much better mood and he's like i have a gift for you silver and he has him come over and he gives him a copy of don quixote a beloved book of his and he is like you know they've been having a conversation about their relationship and because silver has this idea that he could end up being the downfall of flint if the two of them get close to each other it could end up being bad for them both and he's like you know i really think you should read this book don quixote because if what you're saying about our relationship is true then you are the you know sancho to my don quixote reigning in my idealistic impulses and so silver's like what is going on like i'm feeling a little bit of tension (laughs) is he hitting on me with this book basically and he is 
Flint has all along known that Silver is acting this way because he's got the hots for him. So mm-hmm. he sort of just like gives him an opportunity to do something about it. And he does. And they have sex. And then they, at the end, are again, sort of contemplating the sort of Don Quixote of it all and what this relationship is going to mean. And Silver is like, the closer we get to each other, the more risk there is, right? That this relationship could go south and be a problem for us. And Flint is basically like, you're acting like I didn't have any choice in it, but this is what I've decided. (laughs) Let's just Mm -hmm. jump in and see how it goes, basically. And it's like, great, they're going to be in love and also potentially be each other's ruin as all this battle goes forth. And that is what happens that silver of the show destroying, destroying Flint in the end, but you know, it's out of love and that's nice. They really love each other. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a pretty fun one. It was very of the show. I liked the characterizations of the characters. And then I can imagine them sitting around having like a Don Quixote conversation about their relationship because they're nerds. <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was quite believable, actually. You know, sometimes you read mm-hmm. fan fiction and it seems like the scenario is quite forced. This did not feel like that at all. I thought it was yeah. quite believable. I was like, I could see this. I could see this on the show. And that is the the best compliment for a fanfic. Well done, Craft Narok. You've nailed them. Okay, so we have a couple of things in terms of our quote-unquote scholarly work, some more scholarly than others. So I don't know if you still want to talk about Diana Christina Rasmond's thesis at yeah, all, Yeah, so, so Diana Christina Rasmond wrote a thesis for Malmo University entitled Black Sails, Rainbow Flag, Examining Queer Representations in Film and Television. And she says lots and lots of stuff in this thesis. I would really recommend reading it. It's really useful really interesting she talks i mean she doesn't just talk about flint and thomas she talks about max she talks about basically and bonnie she talks about eleanor she talks about all sorts of characters and she talks about the way it's filmed the way the scenes are filmed she talks about how you know so some of the writing and the sort of choices that the creators have made differ from representations of gay people in other television and media. So not making the relationship between James and Thomas seem sort of predatory or sort of overly sexual. She says it makes it making them seem more romantic, which is kind of unusual for the way male homosexuality was sort of represented in media at the time. But one of the things that she talks about, which I have really picked up, which I thought was really interesting was this whole thing of hetero baiting that we mentioned before and she talks about this mm-hmm. in relation to the fact of how certain people responded to when it was revealed that James Flint was gay or had a relationship, a sexual relationship with a man. And also mm-hmm. a love affair with a man, which was the reason for everything he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The more important part, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the national assumption that someone is heterosexual or heterosexuality is the norm. And so that you have been baited into thinking this person is, is straight only for it to be revealed that they're not straight and what she was saying was that this was this term that was created by these fans of the show who were unhappy about this plot and it's mm-hmm. almost like a mm-hmm. perversion of the whole concept of queer baiting which is a thing so heterobating is not a thing it's just something mm-hmm. that people have used to express their annoyance basically their prejudice really and that it's like born out of the term of queer baiting but queer baiting itself is a real thing so I thought that was really, really super interesting. It's definitely worth a read. You can just get online for free. So I think that's so interesting because 
when you're thinking about, I, I think on its face for people who aren't thinking about it too hard, you might be like, well, if queer baiting's real, then why couldn't hetero baiting be real? But when you start to think about the actual details of it, it's like, what, in terms of the baiting, what work are they putting in to convince you that these characters are straight, right? None, none at all. They're putting in no work. That is entirely mm-hmm. your assumptions based on society and heteronormativity and all of this. So it's impossible to me to make the argument that people are bait and switching you when they didn't have him. They didn't have Flint say, I'm so straight. I love women and only women in season one. Like that is not a part of it. So where is the baiting? It's just you being hoisted by the petard of your own biases. You know, it's not like something that they did to intentionally trick you. Right. I mean, as we've talked about throughout the course of this podcast, right, when we're identifying queer baiting, what we're saying is the writers are putting in these overt romantic tropes Mm -hmm. into things. They are creating relationships that don't make any sense outside of a romantic or sexual context. And none of Flint's relationships fit that in terms of their, like, their straightness or whatever right again <laughs> getting back to the the fact that all we see him do in anything romantic or sexual is not enjoy having sex with a woman right you know he's not going to the whorehouses he's not engaging in any you know intimate emotional relationship again other than with Miranda but there's such weirdness there that the only thing it should tell you is there's something, there's something more going, going on, on yeah. here that we have not explained and what could that explanation be that should be the question it also exposes this aspect of our society which i think is particularly unpleasant where we assume that one particular way of being is the norm and i think as Mm -hmm. we go forward into the future we have to be able to evolve beyond that like the idea that you know you just naturally assume before you have any evidence of anything that you know this person is this because that's the norm that's normal and anything else from that you might find out later is a deviation of the norm it's it's the deviation aspect of it that i find very unhappy because deviation suggests like an abnormality you know and Mm -hmm. that's really problematic it's really dangerous so i was i was tricked into believing he was normal and it turns out he's not normal it's like dude like what's what, what is your concept of normal? You know, and you want well one you want tricked, but also what's your concept of normal? Like he's he is normal. It's just yeah, your concept of normal is very very freaking narrow and discriminatory. So yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. No, but but what that idea invites is this sort of burden of proof on queer characters on television right where every character is assumed to be straight you don't need any evidence to prove that and to to prove that a character is is non-straight in any way there's like all of this evidence that needs to be compiled (laughs) and stacked up until you get to a point where you're like we've reached the tipping point now where i can accept that this character is queer and that tipping point is is almost always them not even necessarily saying it because supernatural, supernatural, but like usually acting upon their queerness in some visible way where it's like, that is not how human sexuality works. A a character could even be shown to be in exclusively opposite sex relationships for the length of a show and still be bisexual, right? Like it just, people aren't that 
outwardly labeling their internal experiences in the real world. And what people expect from how media portrays sexuality is just completely removed from the reality. There are some things change. I do think there are things changing, though. So, like, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But, like, if people, like the new series of Good Omens, there is a relationship that Mm. is not, like, no one comes up and to the screen and looks at the viewer and says we're gay it's just like they're just acting like two people (laughs) who are starting to fall in love with each other you know and it's not no one mentions it no one in the show says they're gay no one mentions it no one says anything that's very and it's just like they're treated as individuals you know as people and i was just really refreshing to watch i could just i could watch it without having to do you know what I mean? With all that, well, all the sort of busyness and the sort of like, I don't know what to say, like the sort of like extra stuff that's layered upon a queer relationship in television. It was just like, oh, this is great. This yeah. is just watching two people fall in love. That's fine. You know. I think we've joked about that over the course of the podcast. Like, what do people want? They want people to show up on screen the first appearance and be like, I'm 100% straight. Yeah. It's me, so and so. Like I'm very straight, but occasionally we'll have relationships with you know the same sex. Like like you want them to announce it off the bat. Is that how you want your yeah. television to be structured? That would make you happy. Let the story unfold, man. You're watching a tale. Just let it happen. And also, that's terrible writing, right? Wouldn't that be just sort of like exposition would be. to the audience? It's like you know when someone. You know, you can tell bad writing when somebody delivers like a real like sort of exposition heavy piece of dialogue. And you're like, these two characters know this about each other. They're just explaining this for the viewer. Well, as you know, my yeah. brother. Starting with you the as you know, know is the I real like hamburgers, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> Would you have this conversation in real life? No. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, great. Everybody read Black Sails, Rainbow Flag, Examining Queer Representations in Film and Television. But we also have a bit of less scholarly work in our mm. scholarly work. And an article, we love an article, called No No Shame, Queerness in the Golden Age of TV and Piracy. And this is an interesting one because it sort of threads together the ideas of Black Sails and Our Flag Means Death. But there's some stuff at the end that I think I just found quite powerful. And I wanted to share because this is sort of the the joy of seeing actual queer media on television. So they said, to take the most well-known of pirates and to reframe them as traumatized queer outcasts is not intended as a historical rewrite, but as a rebuttal of the very idea of a history written by the conquerors. The British Empire, present in both stories, is depicted as an entity that is, at its worst, all-consuming barbarism, and at its best, all-consuming barbarism propped up by a veneer of civility. It is an entity that not only destroys, but warps reality around itself, reshaping history in its likeness. Either they meet the same ends as their historical counterparts, or we see the bittersweet truth of stories that are written out of history, their actions twisted into something evil. By giving that other perspective, by suggesting another account, these shows are a rallying cry for queer folk looking for their place in a world that doesn't want them to exist at all, and a reminder to everyone who stands against us which side of history they're on. So just more to the point of, and it's sort of an intentional telling of history that doesn't pretend at uh, an unbiased version the way that history has tended to do no actual telling of history is unbiased because historians are not without biases very nicely put yeah all right we have to talk a little bit 
about how fans and creators interact. <laughs> I think we've hinted at it throughout our discussion. We've mentioned the idea of hetero baiting, which is totally silly. But we just, obviously there are fans that did not have adversarial relationships with the creators of the show who were just sort of on board with this storytelling, but I don't, we don't need to talk about them because they're just having a lovely fun time. What we need to talk about are the Redditors. (laughs) Clara mentioned before, folks on Reddit are having... A I tough mean, what do time, they know? I suppose. <laughs> what, what do they know? <laughs> it's hard out there for a redditor. I just want to share this headline of a of a person's opinion in the R slash Black Sales Reddit. Gay agenda, the only flaw in this amazing so, series. <laughs> I just I've seen this a lot in just even the last week. Not about Black Sales, but relating to the new Barbie movie. I've seen a lot of stuff about agenda this agenda that and it just strikes me that like when someone doesn't like something it's like taking it personally like it's like there's an agenda and the agenda is against me and sometimes i'm like maybe this just wasn't written Mm -hmm. for you because i don't mean to break it to you but you're not the center of the universe and there's like seven other billion people on this planet so like well i think it's exactly what we were getting at right it's the way history has been told is neutral and now everyone has an agenda and it's Mm -hmm. like no it was never neutral the agenda just appealed to you at the time and supported you mm-hmm. and it wasn't accurate. And yep. so like now you have to deal with that. And I understand you're having a hard time cognitively wrapping your mind around that. It's been biased the whole time. <laughs> the other thing that's great about this gay agenda, the only flaw in this amazing series, right? Is this person posts this after the Flint reveal yeah, and not after the first episode where we saw lesbians <laughs> having sex yeah so yeah Yeah, like i mean interesting where's the gay agenda in that (laughs) well and what's really funny about the way this plays out is they try to present this idea that it's not my personal biases i'm just presenting statistics is basically how this guy's playing out right well he starts with i don't mind a character being gay but please try to keep it somewhat realistic here in the u.s less than four percent of the population is lgbt i would i would quibble with that statistic but i mean uh, we don't have reliable numbers yeah. about it there's no polling it's in, not in the census no in black sales by my count four out of nine main characters are gay slash bi flint max eleanor Anne, not counting supporting characters and so he sort of lays out his experience of it where to speak to exactly what you said when he started it Max and Eleanor are fictional characters made for the show, so I didn't mind at all when they were introduced in bed together. Amazing. He didn't mind seeing the lesbians in bed together. Then in season two, they started hinting that Anne Bonny is gay, too. The only reason that bothered me at all is because Anne Bonny is historically known to be straight. Sure, but... No, she's she's not. (laughs) No, she's not. So it was just Hollywood turning another character gay for no reason. And then he's like, okay, but they're exploring that, but I still didn't care too much. You'll notice, again, another lesbian, and he doesn't care too much. But then, at the same time as Anne Bonny's coming out, Flint is getting this mysterious backstory, which finally ends in a big twist. Yep, you guessed it, Flint is gay too. At this point, and only at this point, (laughs) I was kind of turned off by the show, since literally the entire season seemed to just be about homosexuality. When Vane surprise attacked Flint right after the big gay reveal, I half expected them to end up rolling around on the ground kissing. (laughs) Everything else about the series is spectacular, dialogue, acting, costumes, music. But I thought this was supposed to be a prequel to Treasure Island, not a Brokeback (laughs) Mountain retelling. 
<laughs> it was almost fitting that the finale ended in Flint just getting shuttled off to be with his lover at the end because the series seemed to care more about telling a gay romance story than it did anything else. And to me, it felt forced. What's really good to me about this is like, Part of what makes the show good is the storytelling and the heart of the storytelling is this story. <laughs> like the reason the entire arc of the show makes any sense at all is this story. So for him to narrow in on this and be like, everything else about it is so good. But this one critical point <laughs> of the entire narrative is a real I mean, problem the show isn't me. just a gay love story. There's lots of other stories in it. But also, even if it was just a gay love story... Who cares? What's wrong with that? Do you know well, what I mean? It's yes, like, also, if you have yeah. a problem with that, then maybe you need to look at yourself and wonder why you have a problem with that. You need to check yeah, your prejudice. Yeah, you know, a good, good old... Check your prejudice. What's the actor who plays Charles yeah. Vane? Maybe you need to ask yourself some yeah. questions. Yeah, ask yourself some questions. Ask Time yourself some... What I want him to ask himself some questions about is why he saw lesbians and he was fine. He saw another lesbian and he was fine. He saw a gay man and he said, mm -hmm. that's a bit much. Went too far. Can't buy it. To your point, right, he states a statistic, which, what is that based in? Where does that number come from? Also, yeah. still, but also in 2013 or whatever, we're in a society where people are not necessarily comfortable reporting to a pollster that yeah. their sexual orientation for a variety of reasons. And then on top of that, as you were saying, right, this is a self-selecting community of people who have left normal society because for some reason that's not working for them. And you're yeah. like, this 4% is probably accurate across also, the whole human Also, population. no one in the show <laughs> totally makes sense. defines their sexuality. No, one's, no, one's, no one says yeah. I'm gay. So Anne Bowie doesn't say I'm bisexual. Max and, uh, and Eleanor never ever say that they're in a lesbian love affair. They never mention the word lesbian. So nope. what you're trying to do is you're trying to compare definitions that are made up about today's sexuality, which if people were filling out on a form, a lot of people would like, I'm not sure I fit in any of these boxes. I might, I might fit in several of these boxes. Yeah. I don't understand if I can always define this in clear, like, verbal or clear worded terms, right? With a whole period of history mm -hmm. where people weren't necessarily defining themselves. Well, because th this is the thing, like, people identifying with this, like, definition of a type of person is a new phenomenon. Like, if you talk about... I'm gay or I'm bi or whatever. Like, that's not a thing people were doing, certainly not in the time of pirates and not for a long time throughout history. So if you're conceiving, even now, of the idea of, like, this many people are LGBT because they said they were whatever, they self-identified as blah, 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 that's not really accounting for it. it. It's There's a difference between what people say they are and what people do. When you look at stuff like the Kinsey study, right, from, what, the 50s or whenever that was happening – he wasn't asking people, what do you identify as? Because that's meaningless. <laughs> like mm -hmm. That was not a useful way to, to characterize his activity. He's asking people what they've done. And like way more of the people were engaging in at least some sort of same sex contact than would have identified as being not straight. It's just a fact of life that like more people are doing gay things than are saying they are gay. Well, it's like we, in the episode when we were looking at the, was it in our Let the Girls Kiss episode? Maybe. Where we're looking at the, the characterization of fandom and we see that it's like, quote unquote, become queerer. But when they were doing the polling in the 90s, yeah. a lot of the terms we use today did not exist. Yeah. And I think a lot of women were just identifying as women because mm -hmm. they weren't conceiving of being non-binary. Sure. In the early 90s. Was that the poll that we saw where people were filling out in the early 90s where people were putting things in like, 
lady, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I love that. That's my identity. Yeah, me too. Lady, I guess. I yeah, know. but I mean, it's just, it's very hard to nail this sort of stuff down because it is invisible and conceptions of it change all the time. It's not easy to quantify. If you're asking people what they self-identify as, you're not getting the true answers to what they're doing or th even thinking, right? Like people all don't have to- categories are artificial. Exactly. And they change constantly. Like the, I just- Yeah, people are part, so of this, part of this, I think as well, like you can see from this guy's particular comment and when he actually sort of talks about how it he became really unhappy with the show. I would just ask him, like, is it actually about homosexuality that you're upset about? Like, is it a same-sex loving relationship that you're upset about? Or is it actually gay sex? Is it male gay sex? And I suspect it's... And, and that speaks to me, like, of the over-sexualization of queer couples, you know? And I think one of the things mm -hmm. that's very, like, clear in Black Sails is well one they're not defining themselves by terms um and two that the, the sex is there's a lot of like emotion behind the sex it's not casual sexual relationships with each other i mean i guess you could argue occasionally charles vane mm -hmm. and maybe eleanor are kind of just i don't know releasing some tension but but there is a lot, like of a lot of emotion there <laughs> well with with the two of them yeah yeah some people are engaging in casual sexual activity but not a lot of the main characters yeah and you, you don't actually see that much explicit sex in the whorehouse like it's not like there's women walking around topless and stuff no. right but you're not spending hours of the tv series watching random characters have sex with each other in the whorehouse that would be so awful what kind of tv show would that be the, the sex that's happening between the main characters, whether it's same sex sex or whether it's heterosexual sex or whatever, there's all emotion behind it. No one is having an emotionless experience with any of the other main characters. No. It's all emotion all the time with these people. Like, is, yeah. is, is it that you're against love? You know, this guy? Or is it just <laughs> that you're really uncomfortable with the idea of gay sex? I think all signs point to that when he describes his experience where he's like, women yeah. fucking? Okay. Women exploring, exploring their sexuality? Okay. Man? Nope. Well, and what's interesting is, we've talked about it, but there's nothing explicit going on in his relationship with Thomas. They kiss, which I think is a bridge too far for this guy, but like they definitely are not over-sexualizing Thomas and Flint. In terms of the sorts of sex we see, have seen I mean, on the show, to be honest, the most uncomfortable yes. sex scene for me was the one between Miranda and James in the first season. Yeah, but that's because it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, okay, so we don't have to get as much into this one, but I just again want to share the headline of it because this is another person encapsulating their experience of watching this show and how things change for them. They ask. Can you still look at Flint the same way? No, I actually cared about him more. <laughs> I actually... Yeah, that's true. I was like, I, get, I understand you now. Wow. Yeah. Not because... Not sexuality, but because, like, <laughs> you know, because he's doing it for... His heart was, his heart was broken. It's a really sad story. He didn't seem less macho to me. Well, he's an incredibly macho character if you're defining macho on the terms that you would think people would mostly be defining them on, right? Like, he's hyper-violent and very, like, you know, he's... He's an alpha. He's an he's alpha. He's an alpha male. He's <laughs> an alpha male. I, I, I didn't see him as less of an alpha male because he had a love affair with a man. No, because all, yeah. his actions don't change, right? Like he is still behaving in ways that people would think of as hyper-masculine. And it doesn't have anything to do with his relationship. 
but whatever. People be yeah. homophobic. What are you going to do? As Zach McGowan said, you just got to look at yourself, man. <laughs> Maybe ask that question to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I think we also want to briefly mention just a fun thing about this fan community as we were exploring it and getting into it. There is a fanzine. Yay! So if you get into Black Sales as well, check it out. It's on Tumblr. Very cool. Blacksalezine.tumblr.com. An old school throwback <laughs> of fandom. So that is fun. Okay, we've talked a lot. So it's time to get mm-hmm. into our, our questions, our favorite time of the podcast. Is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? In an appropriate space for pirates and sailors, it's queer canon, baby. Yeah, yeah, Fire the yeah. cannons. Fire the cannons, exactly. And, you know, the opposite side of the coin of this is if you gender swap the characters, would they be a couple? Nah, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, and also, if you were going to gender swap Thomas and James, like, who's going to be the woman in this situation? I mean, it it wouldn't make sense for the story either way, because I just feel like a woman would not have achieved the position of Thomas in that society. I think you just sort of have to imagine that you're kind of flipping the Thomas and Miranda characters, right, in terms of their place in the It just, it wouldn't work, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like... I, it just wouldn't work because one of the reasons why James is so in love with Thomas is because of his desire to change the world and make it better. And mm-hmm. as, as sweet and lovely as Miranda is, she she's not doing that. I mean, she could have those ideas, but she wouldn't have the power that Thomas yeah. has in that situation, certainly. I mean, you could write it so that she's sort of like espousing these ideas. And I mean, Thomas and Miranda yeah. have a lovely relationship. I guess you could make it where like she's sort of powering this and he is taking actions on her behalf. And so she is the intellectual thrust of the relationship, in which case Flint could. But you know, as Miranda exists, right? She's aligned. She is the alternate option and yeah. he does start and he having an affair with her and he doesn't her. choose her <laughs> right so it would seem to me that no all right so why isn't it canon it is yeah. we're good we don't have to answer the queer baiting scale question because there ain't no queer baiting unless you ask river <laughs> penry jones <laughs> sure so i river think penry jones would give it a five yes <laughs> but it only had substantially more screen time <laughs> Okay, so I think we've we've done it justice now. What are we talking about next time, Kelsey? Well, before we get to do we have any wrap-up thoughts? I know we have talked a lot, but I do mm. want to give space for any wrap-up. Just our wrap-up thoughts are like, it's good, watch My it. My wrap-up thoughts are, I love the show, watch it. Espe- especially if you're someone who's been watching Our Flag Means Death and is like, oh, I'm into this whole gay pirates <laughs> thing now. I've heard stuff about Black yeah. Sails. Should I? You should. <laughs> watch it. Yeah. I think I just think there should be more pirate shows. One, two. I think there should be more gay pirate shows, <laughs> and I think also three that there should be more gay characters on screen that aren't either tragically going to die, are not tragically depressed because they're gay, and also are are not like coming out and flagrantly signposting they're gay. You know, I think there should be, I think mm-hmm. it's happening. It's starting to happen. I, there's still a long way to go, but they sh- I think they should be written as complex human beings with, you know, sort of diverse and uh, like exciting, interesting, fulfilling lives and like complicated, interesting, romantic and emotional and also platonic relationships as well. Like they should be seen as and drawn as fully fledged human beings, not as tropes anymore. 
And I would like to see a lot yeah. more of that on television and film, please. <laughs> Amen. You, you can't go wrong with a, a fully rounded character. And honestly. I also would really like it if like straight people wouldn't feel threatened by this. But that is, you know, that's like hoping for world peace. <laughs> I mean, that's asking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that is also the goal. Less in, in, in yeah. control of our creators, but hopefully people are able to ask themselves those tough questions and get it together. Exactly. And, just watch a narrative unfold and say, wow, that, yeah. you know, really came together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. That's Black Sails, everybody. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about next time? We're going to go back to a let the girls kiss. Yay. We don't do enough of it. So this will be good. In uh, anticipation of the Marvels, we will be talking about Captain Marvel. That sounds exciting. Yay. I'll definitely give that a listen. It So... Looking forward to it. Before we leave, do you have anything you'd like to plug, Clara? Well, I do have a podcast. I have my own podcast, which Kelsey and Maddie were very, very kind enough to come on it. So you can also listen to that episode where we talk about fandom and fiction and transformative fandom. But it's a bit of on a hiatus at the moment because I actually am doing a master's in history. So yes. that is called The Tales We Tell and it's a podcast about women and gender in film, television and fiction. So please do head over. We've got a big back catalogue and please do head over and have a listen and mm-hmm. you know, let me know what you think. And you can also find me on, I don't even know if I should say this anymore, but you can find me on Twitter at Clara Jean MC. I believe you mean X. I mean, I'm also on Instagram. (laughs) I'm on threads. I'm on every social media channel now because I don't know what's going to happen next. (laughs) Yeah. So what's what's your handle on on Instagram? I'm Clara Jean the Jelly Bean. (laughs) (laughs) I chose it before any of this Twitter stuff went down. The Tales We Tell does have a Facebook page and I'm known as Clara Cook on Facebook. And on threads, I think I'm the same. I think I'm Clara Jean the Jelly Bean because that's an Instagram it's a meta it's a meta platform yeah but yeah like you know head over i think i'm clara jean the jelly bean on tumblr too so may i'm thinking i might have that's great keep it up that's good branding i think i might have to go back to tumblr or some other <laughs> site get on tumblr it's where all the fun is especially now that the people had to empty out of reddit for a bit <laughs> they've gone back over to tumblr so but yeah so it's a little best out there no, but thanks for joining us, Clara. And yes, you have a great back catalog. So folks oh, definitely thanks, give it a listen. That. Thanks for coming. Uh, in the meantime, if you would like to reach out to us with comments, questions, concerns, we are at ltbkpod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter, X, and Tumblr at ltbkpod. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend. The next episode will be released in November of 2023.